welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. And my flight went on at 8.55 and... And so we decided to leave at 6.30. It, it takes about 45 minutes to get to the airport. It's about the same distance from our house to BWI as it is from my sister-in-law's house to Fort Lauderdale. And um, Fort Lauderdale, even at 6.30 in the morning on I-95, there's five and six lanes of traffic on one side, and you'd think it was a rush hour. I mean, it's just people darting in and out. And, and uh, we finally made it. And I said to Chris, I'm glad we decided to leave early. I can read a book. I can do something. I walked inside, went to go through check-in, reached for my wallet, and I'd forgotten my wallet. And my wallet was 45 minutes back, if the traffic was good, and another 45 minutes back. How many know that's an hour and a half? And it was at 7.15, and my flight was leaving at 8.55, but they were boarding at 8.25. Everyone get that? 825. That means 90-minute trip. Chris had already left with my pickup. She was on her way back, and I called her, and I said, Babe, I've forgotten my ID, and they're not, I've already asked them. They said, No, we will not let you fly without your ID. That's what they said. We won't let you fly. Then they whispered to me, basically, if I lied about something, they'd let me fly, but I, I wasn't going to do that. And so, um, uh, to make a long story short, we were able to call her sister, and she met her part way, and, and uh, at 8.25, my wife pulls up to the airport. It is jam-packed on a Saturday morning. There's two lanes and three lanes of people parked there. She literally did a rolling stop, handed me the wallet, and sped back out again. I ran in the airport, right? I'm getting too old for this. And Fort Lauderdale Airport has expanded uh, the, and the southwest terminals. It was a Terminal A. It was the farthest one. And I'm huffing, I'm puffing, I'm going. They're saying, uh, we, they, we're, they already announced, I heard them, that they were, uh, they were loading Flight 855. And I got up there, and my section, which was, was uh, the A section, you won't want to get on that. You can. Now they're loading the children with babies, and then it's the B section. Every seat was taken on the plane. I walked right up, walked right up, and I got in line with the babies and the parents. I handed them my A boarding pass, because if you have your A boarding pass, you can jump in line anytime. And I just, I barely made the flight. I was able to get a good seat and met a wonderful couple from Quarryville, Pennsylvania. But I was, uh, as I was preparing for this and thinking, and I was asking the Lord for a good illustration to just undergird this whole message, um, what came to me was this, that Jesus has called you and me to be the extension of his ministry here on earth. And, but as the church and an individual, we can be saved, we can have our ticket punched for heaven, but unless 
we're involved in the mission of Jesus and touching people's lives, how many know we're not going anywhere? We're just doing, going about in circles. And just like I needed my ID to get on board that flight and really make progress, the Lord calls you and me as a church to minister to those around us and, in fact, to all the world and the poor that are among us and those that are poor in spirit so that we can be the real extensions of his arms, his hands, and his feet. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And without that, without that, we're just sort of spinning our wheels. We're, we've got everything else going on. I was so glad this week that I mentioned to you what happened with the Acosta family on Wednesday night. Connie sent me a, uh, an email, and she said, it's just, you know, little Leslie, has, little Leslie Ann has so many questions right now about why, why didn't God heal my daddy and all of those things. But for those girls and those women to gather around her on Wednesday night and be the extension, the arms and the heart and the love and the care of Jesus Christ meant all the difference in the world. When we went to the, to the home yesterday, my daughter Megan and myself, and, and Nelson Jr. came out, and this young man is 13 years old, and boy, he's going to be a big, big guy. He weighs 180 pounds at 13 and I held his hands, I shook his hands, then we prayed, held it, you know, got in a circle, and I was just, you know, just struck. He's not saying a whole lot. And I just talked with him a little bit, and I said, it's really hard, isn't it? He just said, yeah, it's just really hard. And so Jesus says this, that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel and proclaim the good news to the poor and to open the prison doors, to set at liberty the captives and open the eyes of the blind. And I want to challenge me, and I want to challenge you as the church of Jesus Christ to be engaged in the mission that he has for us as his extensions, because without that, we're really not going anywhere as a church. We're not fulfilling the purpose. In Luke chapter 4, in the Lord Jesus Christ shows us the way and and offers and gives to us great hope and help and how you and I can be his extensions and really make a difference in the lives of people, but also that makes a difference in our own life. We have a short video that we want to show this morning. Uh, This week we started in the book of Luke, and so if we could show that. The extended introduction tells in parallel the birth stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. So you have this elderly priestly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then this young unmarried woman, Mary and Joseph. They both receive an unlikely divine promise that they're going to have a son. Both promises are fulfilled then, as John and then Jesus are born, and both parents sing poems of celebration. Now these poetic songs, they're filled with echoes from the Old Testament, Psalms and prophets, showing how these children will fulfill God's ancient promises. But these poems also preview each child's role in the story to follow. So John is the prophetic messenger promised in the Torah and the prophets who's going to prepare Israel to meet their God. And Jesus, he's the messianic king promised to David, who's going to bring God's reign over Israel and God's blessing to the nations, just like he promised to Abraham. 
After this, Mary brings Jesus to the Jerusalem temple for his dedication, and two elderly prophets, Anna and Simeon, they see Jesus, and they recognize who he is. And Simeon sings his own song, a poem inspired by the prophet Isaiah. He says, this child is God's salvation for Israel, and he will become a light to the nations. So with all this anticipation, the story moves forward into the next main section, where Luke presents Jesus and his mission. He sets the stage with John's renewal movement at the Jordan River, where he's calling a new, repentant, recommitted Israel into existence through baptism. He's preparing for the arrival of God's kingdom. And then Jesus appears as the leader of this new Israel, and he's marked out by the Spirit and the voice of God from heaven. He is the beloved Son of God. After this, Luke follows with the genealogy, and it traces Jesus' origins back to David, then back to Abraham, and then all the way back to Adam from the book of Genesis. Luke's claiming here that Jesus is the messianic king of Israel who will bring God's blessing, but not only to Israel, the family of Abraham. He is here for all the sons of Adam, for all humanity. After this, Luke has strategically placed the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he launches his public mission. At a synagogue gathering, Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Now, along with the other Gospels, Jesus is presented here. He's the Messianic King bringing the good news of God's kingdom. But what Luke uniquely highlights are the social implications of Jesus' mission. So he brings freedom. The Greek word is aphasis. It literally means release, and it refers to the ancient Jewish practice of the year of Jubilee described in Leviticus 25. It's when all Israelite slaves were released, when people's debts were canceled, when land that was sold is returned back to families. It's all a symbolic reenactment of God's liberating justice and mercy. And then Jesus says that this good news of release is specifically for the poor. Now, in the Old Testament, the poor, or in Hebrew, ani, it's a much broader category than just people who don't have very much money. It refers also to people of low social status in their culture, like people with disabilities or women and children and the elderly. It also can include social outsiders, like people of other ethnic groups, or people whose poor life choices have placed them outside acceptable religious circles. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. So after this, Luke immediately puts in front of us a large block of stories, showing us what Jesus' good news for the poor looks like. It involves the healing of a bedridden sick woman, or a man who has a skin disease, or someone who's paralyzed. There are stories here also about Jesus welcoming into his community a tax collector, like Levi, who's not financially poor, but he is a social outsider. There's a story about Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Luke showing us how Jesus' kingdom brought restoration and reversal of people's whole life circumstances. He's expanding the circle of people who get invited in to discover the healing power of God's kingdom. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's turn to the scripture this morning. Uh, the first thing, the first thing was that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And Luke wrote this in Luke 4 verses 1 and 2, and then 13 and 14. I'll read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, 
And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then 13... I'm sorry, I don't have 13, but we'll go to, you have it, and I'll go, to, uh, I'll go to verse number 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And um, there's a couple things here that, are, that just sort of leap out from Scripture. Number one, he was baptized in the Jordan by John. You remember that, when the, the Holy Spirit came of a dove came down to Jesus and uh, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This was the coming of the Spirit on Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, but he laid aside his divinity. He took on himself our flesh so he could experience everything that you and I have experienced, pain, joy, sorrow and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by God to serve. But notice what happened. That was in Luke 3 and chapter 4. What happened then? He was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. And Luke specifically points out several times, and he notes, he emphasizes that Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. And He went into the wilderness, and the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing during that time, but the devil, the enemy of our lives, attempted tricks to destroy Jesus Christ before he could ever have his ministry here on earth. That's what was going on there. And by the way, what the enemy of our souls used in the wilderness are the same three things that he used with Adam and Eve in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. You remember that. And it was called the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the and the lie. And he said to Jesus, uh, he tempted him and, and to cast himself down. There were three different temptations. But because he was filled with the Spirit, he was able to overcome in this spiritual battle And you and I, friends, we need to be filled, how many know this, with the power of the Holy Spirit if we are going to do something for God, okay? We need to be filled, we're either filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the spirit of self. And the spirit of self is never satisfied. Proverbs says, the leech has two daughters, give, give, they cry. And the spirit of self always wants more and more and more and more, but it's about me, me, and me. But when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we see things differently, and God empowers us so that we can literally set the prisoners free, give us strength to overcome, and gives us power as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And someone say, thank you, Lord. Amen. That's what he calls us to do. And so... Jesus, the good news is today, he is called a baptizer. And in Acts 1.8, he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Paul the Apostle said to be filled with the Spirit, but also to keep on being filled. And how many know that yesterday's filling is not good enough for today? We need to be continually filled and refilled by the Spirit himself. 
So we do ministry and we're called to be an extension of Jesus. The first thing is in the power of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Uh, one of our first, uh, our first youth pastor here at, at, uh, at Grace was Jay Buckley, Jay and Melanie Buckley, and he's in the military now. Some of you might recall him. What a wonderful couple, and, and, uh, we, uh, and uh, we thank God for them. And Melanie and, and her, her daughter was able to be with us for the 25th anniversary. But Jay told me that, that during uh, his Bible college days, he became a janitor in a large urban church that was, I mean, it was a landmark church, but on Sunday they might have five old people in this church that was downtown in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what kept it going were these, these large endowments that kept the lights on, and so they paid him handsomely to keep the whole building clean for five elderly people, but they had lost the zeal for the mission of God. How many follow what I'm saying? So the lights were on, but nothing was happening on the inside. Jesus Christ calls us and basically says, if we're going to do ministry that's effective, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because we're in a, a spiritual battle for men and women's souls. How many understand that? And the good news is he's the baptizer. And I want to encourage you that you can call on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say, Lord Touch me, fill me, I need you. You can do it anytime, any place. You can do it in the middle of the night. You can do it where you're driving, just close your eyes. But you can, the Lord can minister to you and make all the difference. Because friends were either filled and controlled by God's Spirit or filled and controlled by our own Spirit. When we're controlled by our own Spirit, we're reluctant to minister, we're reluctant to see people as God sees people, and we measure ourselves out in dribs and drabs. But the Lord has something for us so much better. How many are glad this morning that you've been the recipient of ministry in your life, of someone that was controlled by the Spirit of God? The second thing I want to share with you is that teaching God's Word is central to ministry as an extension of Jesus. And so he stood in the temple, verse 16, and he began in the synagogue. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And what they read, and there was an order of service that they had. You needed 10 men, adult men, and then you could form a synagogue. It didn't have to be a synagogue building. It could meet in a house, but it was 10 men that could, and then, of course, their families and children and spouses and all that. But what they would always do, it would begin with Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, known as the Shema. And they would stand and confess this, and they'd say, the Lord our God is one. And that they would cite this, and, that God, and God was speaking to them, through Moses, and he said that these teachings shall not depart from you. Remember that? You shall bind them on your foreheads. You shall put them on the doorposts. You shall teach them to your children in their coming in and their going out. It was the power of the Word of God is what they were doing. And they were confessing that at the beginning of their worship service. And so 
the teaching of God's Word is central, central, if, if we have a ministry that will impact people and if we're anointed to serve. There's an old saying that, that I really like that said, too much spirit and you blow up, too much word and you dry up, but when you have the right amount of the spirit and the word, you grow up. And what God has called us to do is to make disciples. I've, I've heard this saying, it's that there's some churches have no, they're saying there's no perfect people. I think that's a wonderful saying. As long as it does not devolve to the bar as lowered as much as possible. If we say no perfect people, but it's a confession, no perfect people, but God without your help will never be what you've called us to be, I believe that's the way to go. And so the teaching of God's Word is absolutely uh, central. Jesus likened it to building a house upon the rock, and the storms of life will come, but if we teach, we build our lives, and we minister in the church and to our children, and our programs or ministry are built upon God's Word, when the storms of life come, we will not only survive, we will thrive. Can someone say praise God? And because the the Word of God is the power to transform. Haley Arnold was a, a, uh, is a friend of Abby Carlin, and she came to, uh, came to, to Grace, uh, I think, a little over a year ago. And, uh, and Abby just invited her to church, and she was a co-worker for her. She was far from God. How many know that far from God means you're, you're not with God? I mean, but a good person. She gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. She's now, she, they've just moved to North Carolina, but she's posting, and she's so excited. She's reading the gospel plan, the gospel projects, but she's, she's also reading many others, and the Word of God is changing her, and she is a glow in the Spirit for what Jesus Christ is doing for her. And she... she uh, she posted things, I thank you, Grace, for just pointing me to the Word of God. And I, I, I can tell you as a pastor, you don't know what that does to me. That's like a home run has been hit, and we've just won a crucial game. We're making a disciple for Jesus Christ. You say amen. Amen. That's what it's all about. And so it's line upon line. It gives us a reason for the hope within us. And here's what. Here's why God's Word is so important. And... Do you know that the Bible assumes that man's culture will distort the realities of life and of eternity? Did you, do you know that? That's an underlying basic assumption in the Word of God. That's why God's Word says line upon line. Don't let it leave you on the doorpost of the house and in, teach your children in the morning. Teach your children at night. Keep the Word of God always before you because not only does it challenge the gods of this culture, but it shows us the way and it fortifies us and we can be fortified by the Word of God and led by the Spirit of God and these signs will go off. Uh-uh, no, that's not, something's not right there. And we'll check it out with God's Word. We'll say, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But we also can quote the Word of God. And how many times have you or myself 
been in a difficult situation and the right word of the Lord came and encouraged our hearts. Just recently, there was something that, that I, I was working my way through and, and I said, Lord, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm prepared for this. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know. I don't know. And I was reading in Scripture because uh, I'm also reading uh, through, uh, I'm in, uh, I'm actually in Leviticus now, but I was reading about Moses when the Lord called him, and he said, I can't because I, I can't. I can't do it. And God, he said, I can't speak. And God said, I'm going to give you Aaron as a mouthpiece. And I see that pattern in Scripture Many, 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 many times the word of the living word of God comes and we say we can't and there's no way or we'd fail. God says, What I've asked you to be is be faithful and available, receive my God's word, and I'll empower you so that you can serve. And so the 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 ministry of Jesus Christ, we're anointed to serve God and to serve people in the power of the Spirit, but his word teaching has to be central to it. Jesus, as he stood up, he read this. He said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, in verse 18. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim relief to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Freedom, freedom is the absolute hallmark of the kingdom of God. I really believe it's, it's important for us to know that God is at work in us and Paul, the apostle, said it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. How many you, you've heard that script? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom from the enemy and the power of sin. Freedom from ourselves. And it's important that we understand that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not done with this. We're a work in progress. Can someone say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm a work in prog progress. You know that God's Word says that when our hearts condemns us, God's greater than your heart. So when your heart condemns us, I want to encourage you, that's not the end of the story. That's just one half of the equation. When our heart condemns us, 1 John chapter 3, 19, I believe it is, John said, and beloved, and we know this, that when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. So it's fact of life, reality of life, that our heart condemns us. Do you know that even King David talked with himself and said, oh my soul, why are you so depressed within me? I know no one here ever gets depressed. No one here ever has a problem. You know, but that's one half. The other half is that God is greater than our, than our hearts. And he sees us. He's at work in us. I believe that God wants us to see people also in the same way that, that their work's in progress and we can celebrate small victories, that there was no one when they were saved and came into the, the family of God was perfect and the Spirit of God stopped working on their life and convicting them the moment they got saved. How many know that? We're all works in progress. A few years ago, we left a very, very lovely neighborhood. Socially, economically, it was just a just a phenomenal neighborhood, and we liked it. We liked our neighbors, and but we decided to downsize, and so we, we moved into 508 Plum Tree, and I, it was up on the auction block, and, and I remember bidding for other people, and they didn't accept any of our bids, and then 
came back. They said, bid again. And so we did, and we finally, we won the bid. But it was, it was a house that was over 50 years old, and nothing had been done for, to it in 50 years. But it had good bones. And do you know God sees you as having good bones? Do you know that? Yeah. He also knows that you are a work in progress, and that when people walk through that door, they might not look like you, They might not be of the same socioeconomic class, but God wants us to see them as having good bones. They're God's treasure. How many understand that? Yeah. And there are no perfect people, but God comes as the author and finisher of our faith. And so what happened then, so we bought this thing and had, well, they did do some things. They put pink carpet in the whole house over this beautiful hardwood floor. They covered up the ceiling with acoustical tile. They hadn't done anything in the kitchen. It was naughty pine. Everything, the ceiling, the walls, the cabinets. You felt like you were in a black and white zoo full of peacocks. I mean, it was just, it was like you're going insane. Like, where am I? You know, where's the wall? Where's the ceiling? You just felt like lost in space. You lose your equilibrium. <laughs> and so we decided, but our house sold rather. So we decided we're going to have to move in. But, our, but we're moving into good bones, but we're also moving into good bones where things had to be done. You, you know what I'm saying? Things, things had to be done. And so we moved in, and we had done things. But we, so one of the major projects was to get rid of the kitchen. And uh, they, they came and they dismantled the brick wall, and it was, it was literally unfinished for six weeks. They got rid of all the cabinets, the stove. The only thing that remained was a knotty pine sink base and a sink because how many know you need to wash dishes? And you really shouldn't wash them in your bathtub. I mean, that, you don't want to do that. So, but folks might say, how can you live like this with just a piece of plastic between you and the elements? You know why we could live like that? Because when we paid the price, we're all in on this thing. We, were, we paid the price. We're looking at it for what it could be rather than what it was right now. And you know that Jesus Christ sees you just like that? Not what you are, but what you could be. But he also wants us to view people that come into the church and who we associate and who we're willing to reach out to as being works in progress and celebrate them for the things that are happening, praise God. And that's, all of us are works in progress. None of us come signed, sealed, and delivered, good to go out of the box, and God just leaves us alone, and there's never anything else that he does in us that we need done. And so he said this, he said, I come to bring good news to the poor. And that means the outsiders and the socially poor, the poor in spirit, where we have as a church the you're welcome sign. I call it that we need to be we want to be, my desire is that we're a Motel 6 church. How many know what Motel 6? You ever hear the old advertisement? The guy says, and we'll leave the light on for you. We'll leave the porch light on. We'll leave the light on for you. That as a church, we're a Motel 6 church. The light's left on. You're welcome here. Yeah, you don't make as much money as what we make, but do you know you don't make as much money as what a whole lot of other people make. How many understand that? And Jesus Christ died for everybody. And he came to 
to bring the good news to the poor, the outsiders, and proclaim release to the captive. That's the year of Jubilee. That's release is like that painful cramp. And every once in a while, my wife will say, oh, 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 I got a cramp in my foot. You know, and the toes curl like this. And she said, help me, help me, help me. And so, you know, I'll like start bending her toes. Easy, 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 easy. How many of you have had that experience? You know what that's like. But then it's, there's a release that's there. And the power of Jesus Christ, listen friends, there's a release in the Spirit of God called the year of Jubilee that God has for us. It sets us free. I read a, a word this week. I'm going to give it to you and you can look it up. It's called dysthymia. I was reading a book called Leadership Pain, how we only grow according to the pain in our life. And we want everything to be normal. But do you know, that, how many know that when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it meant that we're bearing a cross and that, there's pain in the cross of following Jesus. How many understand that? It's not about living the perfect life and all of our, it's not Napoleon Bonaparte in, what was the name of the movie uh, back, what was the, uh, what was the name of the movie where the guy come, the, uh, Guy gets up, he's running for office in school, and he said, I'll vote for me and I'll make all your dreams come true. What was the name of that? Someone help me out. It, it's sort of, okay, forget it then. All right. But following, we don't follow Jesus because he's going to make all of our dreams come true. How many know that? How many know that? It might be that part of our dreams is we had a really, really nice house and a really, really nice development, and the Lord just spoke to me about stewardship of what He's placed in my hands, and that meant downsize. Yeah. We could afford the house we're in. That wasn't the issue at all. But God just said, I'm calling you to a deeper level. I want you to, this is what I want you to do. And so that's what we've done. And for some people, that'd be so painful. They say, uh-uh, no, that's where I draw the line, Jesus. If you ask me to do, if you ask me to go to the mission field, uh-uh, that's where I put my, my that's where I put my foot down, and I'm not gonna go there because that's not what I signed up for. I thought that I followed you, that I would have the blessed life. You'll have a blessed life. But his blessings are different than how we our culture measures blessings. How many know that? You can't trust cultures. In some cultures, do you know if you're really, really big and heavy and overweight, you're considered wealthy? Do you know that? Our culture says get as skinny as you can. I, I want to sort of live in between. How about you? You know what? So people look at me and say, oh, you're really wealthy. You know, you're, you're really enjoying the blessings of the Lord. So you can't trust cultures and the gods of this culture once again, God's Word assumes that men, humanity's cultures will lead us far from God and distort reality. But He's come and, and, and He wants to deliver and set us free. But I read this word called dysthymia. D-Y-S-T-H-Y-M-I-A. And you know what it is? It's a, a, a mild form of depression like a black, it's like a cloud that you can't get rid of and you can't really ever enjoy life anymore. And it's pervasive in our culture. Do you know that Jesus Christ wants to set you free from that? 
the joy in our life. Good news, release of the captives. The oppressed will be set free. The I can't and I'm not good enough. The blind will see. That means healing and revelation of eyes open towards God. I was last night, one of the, we had a, a treasure when we were pastored in western Pennsylvania, Barry Shaw and Flora. She was Filipino and, and uh, he was just a good old white Anglo-Saxon Protestant American, not a tall guy. And, and, he, and Jason, he was our treasure and his demeanor and spirit were just like you're sort of quiet, but his work was really good and right on. And so I knew they moved to the Philippines, and I lost track of them. <sighs> Popped up on Facebook last night. Barry, Barry, so good. His wife was given to hospitality. He moved over there so she could be near her family, and that I thought, well, that's the last you'll ever hear of Barry. You know, you just, if he's not in America, he what? He's sort of, what could he do, you know? I mean, if you're not here, you can't do anything of significance. He popped up, and there's a video of him baptizing people in the ocean. He's a pastor now. You know what his goal is? Is to plant 50 house churches. And he said, we're well underway. They just handed out 30 piglets in that village. I know, you, don't, you think, all you're thinking is mission barbecue and pulled pork. Do you know there's a lot of places in this world to have a piglet is a big deal? Do you know that? It's a big deal. They're reaching out. They're touching people. And someone could have told Barry, you're never going to do much for God. You're over there in the Philippines, and you don't have a, you don't have a big personality. Do you know that, that, that God uses whoever is available to him? And I want to encourage you, don't let yourself or your family say, I can't, I can't, or I'll fail, or I can't do that. God, if he calls you and if he anoints you, allow the Lord to use you and you'll be surprised what God will do. In fact, God rarely calls us to a larger place of responsibility because we're already equipped and we have it all down. He calls us like David when you're a shepherd boy. He wasn't equipped to be king, but God would put him through things, and then he would be king one day. And then I want to bring this to a close. Proclaim God's favor. Proclaim God's favor. Verse 19, called the favorable year of the Lord. Proclaim it throughout the land. It's our mission, but we proclaim his compassion. We, can put, we proclaim it outside of the church as well as to believers. His favor is the year of Jubilee because God's kingdom has been paid for. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And it's not just 2018. What he was talking about, the year of the Lord's favor was Jubilee, but it was the salvation that Jesus Christ brought on the cross for everyone who would believe in him and say, Lord, I need you and I need your help today. Freedom from fears and depression and not good enough and sin and I can't and freedom from being the outsider syndrome. They'll never, 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 never accept me. But Jesus came and he proclaimed the good news that you're welcome and I'm welcome. You're welcome at the table and I'm welcome at his table.
Jubilee meant a new start. Jesus offers His divine deliverance and touch to you and to me today. Can someone say praise God? Amen. It's for you, and I want you to claim that. It's for you, a new start. You might say, well, pastor, I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, but His mercies are new every morning. You know why? Because we need a new start every day. That's what it is. And we never get to the point where we don't need another start. That's what Jesus Christ is about. Can someone say praise God? And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, and I want to pray for you.